Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, the founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in fact keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Welcome, everybody. I would like to welcome you today to our show and welcome my special guest, Miss Janet Grillo. Hello, Miss Janet. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. It's another uh, contact of mine from Women's Prosperity Network, and Janet lives here in Florida, just a few hours from me, not far away. And we were just talking about the difference in temperature. It's a little bit chillier up there than it is down here in South Florida, huh? It's definitely Florida weather. You just don't know what it's going to be from day to day, that's fever. Well, it's crazy, and we're all going through the, the remnants of, I guess, Tropical Storm Etta, Ada, whatever she is, and uh, she's dumped a lot of water on South Florida. But the flowers are happy, so we're going to look for the positive today. There you go. Well, I'd like to welcome you, and the way that you and I got connected was through Women's Prosperity Network, but also because of the book that you wrote, and we're going to talk extensively about your book. It's called God Promised Me Wings to Fly. There is life after suicide. But the book came as, you wrote the book as a, um, I want to say middle-aged. I shouldn't say that because we're, we're not middle-aged anymore because we're living up to 100. So we're going to be, you know, older. So what I like to do with Stand Up and Speak Up is kind of go back in time, back when we were young, and look at some things that might have happened in our life that have shaped us to be the women we are today. So let me just tell people who you are. I'm going to read your short bio, and then we're going to dive into who Miss Janet Grillo is. Sounds good. So, okay, so at 52 years old, Janet Grillo's life shattered as she entered a world that she never knew. She was once an unsuspecting wife and mother who learned about her husband's secret life after he mysteriously died. To this day, she still questions whether his death was a suicide assisted suicide, suggested suicide, or murder. Janet uncovered alleged mafia ties and multiple affairs with other women, and after falling into a deep depression with suicidal thoughts, she came to the realization that she needed to save herself from despair and hopelessness. She recognized that she was not alone and desires to help others get through their pain. And that's when you wrote your book, God Promised Me Wings to Fly, and she uses it as a motivational speaker and encourages others to seek help to find their purpose in life, even when things seem hopeless. I love that description of you, and you're perfect for this show and for what we're going to talk about today. So thank you for being brave enough and having the courage to stand up and speak up 
and to tell your yes, story. Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing for sure. And I'm so appreciative of that. So let's go back in time. When you were a young girl, were you always courageous? Did you have that courage bone in you or were you shy? And kind of tell me who, who you, you were as a child. Oh, I was as a child. Well, I have four sisters. And so basically for me, I was a very shy person around other people, but not in my family. Um, I always used to kid like uh, for the football games in high school when they were in the huddle, I had such an inferiority complex that I thought that I know that they're in there talking about me. So no, I was not, <laughs> I was not very outgoing at all. Um, I, uh, I, I'm not sure when I really found my courage. I, I think my greatest courage came when I uh, started my own business and then I had to go out there and talk to a lot of people. But certainly the greatest friend that I uh, found was after the death of my husband. But as a child, no, I was very shy and really only talked to people if you talked to me. Well, you know, I heard you talk one time, too, that you struggled a little bit in school. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, it's funny because God had I asked God to write me letters, and I wrote letters back to him. And then one of the letters that he wrote to me um, was dated 18, 2004, and he said, know that I've chosen you to do a special task for me, one I don't want you to take very lightly. One day you will write a book, and when that time comes, we will write it together. Through your words, we will have, um, you will bring many people to me. It will be a great success for you, but a greater success for the lives that you've touched, and I will put the right people into your life when it happens of which I replied to God, really, God, I was in Mr. Fox's remedial reading class in the seventh grade. Surely you could choose others to do something other than me. And he said, no, I chose you. So I, it's, it's a calling that I have. So, no, I did struggle in school. I was a C student in school. Definitely was not a writer. That's for darn sure. If well, I the inter- I never would have seen author, motivational speaker, that's for sure. And it is interesting, though, that as if, as if you struggled as a child, I know one of my children um, had a hard time with reading when, when she was little, and we had extra, extra training and extra classes and extra tutorials and all that, and, and honestly, now she's the best student and the best reader of all the kids because she had to put a little work into it, and she acknowledges yeah, I, that, I that that I, was... Yeah. It's embarrassing at first when you're, when you're young, but... That's true about all of us. You know, when we've struggled with something, we've had to work harder to overcome it, and then we're stronger at it. And, uh, and we thought of it. Now, Janet, you're going in and out a little bit. We were having no, some sound. We were having some sound issues earlier. I don't want people to miss what you say. Okay. Okay, that's good. So, uh, back to school. You were you were an average student. You did well. You went on, and. You ended up getting married. How old were you when you got married? Uh, the first time I got married, because I've been married twice, I got married when I was 20 years old and my daughter when I was 21. So I married very young, but way back when, you know, in 1970, uh, the rule was that if you weren't married by the time you were age 21, you were considered to be an old lady. <laughs> so marriage was always on the minds of all the people because you definitely didn't want to be called an old lady. Sure. On that, and that marriage lasted 15 years. You said that lasted 15 years. It lasted 15 years. Yeah. 15 years. And your daughter, uh, you had your daughter from that. That's great. 
that is young. Um, you know, when I was 25, I was getting married, but I had gone into the Air Force, and at that point, they're not going to call me an old lady as I was going into the Air Force. <laughs> but you get that feeling from people, from family, right? You get the feeling from family like you, you better get married. Yeah, and the problem is, and one of the reasons why the marriage didn't last is because we were just too young. Um, I was, uh, by trade, I'm a fine jewelry and diamond broker, and at the time when I got married, I was supervising chains of department stores for fine jewelry, so I really concentrated my effort on building um, my business as far as the dedication to the job. Uh, later on, I ended up opening my own business, but during that time, you know, my, I had different priorities. My husband was a marathon runner, so he spent most of his time running, and I spent most of my time working. And so we just basically never knew or never felt the need to really work on our marriage. And then when we finally thought, okay, what happened to us, uh, it was too late. Mm. That happens with friendships. It happens with marriages. It happens to a lot of things. And I think as we get older, as for me anyway, as I've gotten older, I've realized what's really important and that Absolutely. working working you know 80 hours a week or running 100 miles a, a, you know a, a week or whatever that's not right. important if you really want to if you want to work on your on your relationships and so that didn't last and you did remarry though and you re, and you were remarried for quite a while but after the second marriage ended up in a way that no one wants to have a marriage end up um, can you, we're just going to dive right into that. We're going to dive into what happened to your to your husband in oh my God. 2001. Okay, it was 2001, yes. Uh -huh. So actually it will be um, 20 years since he died. So, he, he, so did you get a phone call or did you get a knock on the door? How, how did you find out what had happened to your husband? It, you know, the crazy thing is, is that the night before he died, um, you know, I, I knew that he was under a lot of stress at first because his demeanor was a little bit different. And so I thought, you know, I woke up in the morning and I thought, you know what, today's going to be the day I'm going to do something really special with him. So I went to the store and I purchased all the ingredients that I needed to make his mother's uh, spaghetti gravy, as you call it. Uh, went and bought flowers, set the table with the china, the crystal, red tablecloth. You know? uh, and I was just cooking all day in anticipation of coming home and just having this romantic dinner for two. And then about four o'clock in the afternoon, I got a phone call from him and he says, oh, I want to take you out to dinner tonight. And I go, but I'm already fixing this wonderful meal. I said, no, you know, I told friends we would meet at the bar, you know, let's just have that meal on the weekend. So reluctantly, I said yes. And so then I went to get ready. Um, and so when I was getting ready, uh, he walked in the door and he was really kind of taken back by all the preparation that I had done and he felt a little bit bad but we still went out and we um, you know had a really nice dinner and everything and then the next day he got up earlier than usually to go to work and so I questioned him why he was leaving so early and also questioned him why he was wearing such old clothes to work because I had never seen him dress so poorly that particular night, we were scheduled to meet a friend uh, that lived in Delaware, moved to Florida, and then he came back uh, to sign contracts with the company. And then what happened was is um, we got to the restaurant, our friend's name is Joe. Joe and I had arrived at the restaurant, and we waited for Tony to arrive, and he didn't. 
So I called the concierge in my building, and I asked him if he had heard from him. And so he hadn't, but he said a detective was in earlier in the day looking for me and asked me to tell you to come home, and then he would meet you there. So I thought, crazy detective, what does the detective want from me? So my son-in-law was a canine police officer, and so I called him immediately, and he didn't answer. I called my daughter, and she didn't answer either. And so I rushed home, and I went into my office because it had a clear view of the parking lot waited for more than an hour for them to arrive. And so my husband, my um, son-in-law arrived in a police uniform with a man in a suit. And they took me upstairs into my condo and sat on the sofa. The detectives confirmed who my husband was, his name. And I thought, well, that's strange. You know, except my son-in-law knew that and where he worked. And he said, I'm here to tell you, he says, I'm sorry to tell you, but your husband had an accident and he's dead. I go, what do you mean he's dead? She said, no. And I thought the roads were a little bit icy. Maybe he had a car accident or something. And then I said, well, how did he die? And he took my hand and he said he committed suicide at 1 o'clock this afternoon. And I said, that, that can't be right. He hates guns. You know, he shot himself. I said, well, how did he die? And he said, a gunshot wound to the head. Hmm. And at that point, I just screamed in disbelief. And I turned to my son and said, could you speak to me? And he and so I just couldn't believe it. My daughter didn't know what was going on. My son-in-law simply called her and said that Tony had had an accident. He was sending a police car for her and my granddaughter, who was just six months old at the time. So that was kind of like the beginning of, you know, I didn't even know what it was the beginning of. It was, it was certainly the end of a relationship, and I just was beside myself. I actually went into a state of shock. Oh, I'm I'm uh, I've got to tell you I'm sitting here with this stupor of thought just because it takes me back to April 8, 2010, when I got the phone call from my son that my husband had passed away, and it was sudden, and it wasn't by suicide. He had had a heart attack, but the same feelings of uh, maybe disbelief or. I went into what I call suspended animation. You know, just life just took over. And right. you go, you go into autopilot. And I know I, I became the fixer. I wanted to make sure that everything was taken care of, except for myself. Right. So yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a tough place to be. You know, yeah. you don't know what to do. I mean, you just you know, I just collapsed on the sofa. You know, and shortly afterwards, my daughter came in. And my son-in-law took her aside and told her what happened, and she was just beside herself. And then throughout the evening, more family members came, but uh, one of my husband's brothers came in, sat down in a chair, clapped his hands, and said, that's it, it's over, he's dead, what's next? And I go, what the heck, you know? And so later on, I, you know, I started finding out things about my husband that were just crazy, as far as that's concerned. You know, uh, after... The funeral, well, at the funeral, there were over a thousand people that attended the, uh, the viewing the night before in the church service, you know, and I said, and I was told that many men arrived at the funeral uh, in Mercedes, dark suits, dripping in gold chains and sunglasses, you know, and um, unfortunately, some people thought that they were there to make sure that my husband was dead, and that was really thought. You know, but all of that didn't surface until weeks after the 
although my family was aware of all the stuff that was happening, my son-in-law insisted on increasing my anxiety medication. So even though I was there in body, my mind wasn't totally there when the whole thing was happening. So you were really, I mean, before he died, I was listening to a, a, one of your podcasts, and you had said that you'd had a really nice life, that you had the home and the jewels and the cars and all this. Um, but when I'm looking at it, you know, from this side, it's like you you were definitely that woman behind the smile. Yeah, right? I guess I was. I didn't realize that moment, <laughs> yeah. I think we I all are at some point, but you were living that life. And then after he passed away, same thing maybe? I mean... Were you trying to put on that, that uh, strong smile or that strong persona for a while to keep things going? Or, and when did that fall apart? Um, actually, it fell apart immediately. Because I, you know, um, I mean, I didn't find out about the alleged mafia connection until later on. Uh, his family of 55 members walked away from me after the last shuttle of dirt. And that was kind of bad because, you know, I needed my family and I considered them to be my family but they walked away and then it was um, like a conspiracy almost you know investigations led me to petrified situations I mean in one example which is really kind of scary you know because I had received all of my husband's personal belongings which included his checking account you know in his wallet we had separate check checking accounts you know we thought this would be easier for him to write the bills for himself but I discovered that um, when I was researching his American Express, I called American Express to find out about charges. Of course, they wouldn't give anything to me. And then when I found out that even though my husband was president of a family-owned of the family-owned business, that he was not the primary on his American Express account, and I thought, well, that was very strange. And then I said to them. Well, who is? And they couldn't tell me. She says, but I will tell you that it's not anyone who has the name of Grillo, which is my last name. I thought, well, what the heck is that all about? You know, who who would be the primary cardholder on his American Express account? And so everywhere I turned, you know, I was trying to find out things about him. This is a man who called me twice a day and told me he loved me. I mean, you're right. I mean, he spent four to five thousand dollars on his $100 for his ties, $1,000 for shoes, $250 for each of his shirts. I mean, he was he was dressed like like a king, you know, in a sense. Um, and so, and then when he would go out, of course, he always had cash with him. He would always carry $100 bills. And waiters and waitresses would line up to uh, wait on him because he would leave a $100 tip on a $100 meal. Mm. And so, you know, in looking back, I'm thinking, well, you know what, maybe he was connected on some reason. But I feel in my investigations that I have or my speculations, well, you know what, it's not just speculation. Because, you know, I found out that at one point he, his company had put a new roof and new driveway in for one of their customers. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Why would he do that? But the person worked in an automotive company, and I kind of think that, my husband's company ordered automotive parts from his company, and I think that inside guy just made the invoices go away. And then my husband's company, they had about 200 accounts nationally and internationally. And one, my husband took care of 199 of the accounts, and then he had one brother 
that took care of one account out of Philadelphia. And so that led me to believe that um, they were doing something illegal. Used, uh, they were either chop shop or whatever. They were laundering something, but I don't know what. You know, because I couldn't get any of those answers again because they walked away from me. And I think even if they were in front of me, they still wouldn't divulge what was happening in the company. So the more you heard, the more you didn't believe. And I'm sure that, you know, that brings up trust issues between you and your spouse and you and the family. How has that affected you since? Well, the trust was the biggest thing for me. You know, I was afraid to go out of the house. At that point, I was very different, you know, and I was probably, I thought I was building it up in my mind. And then as I found more and more things, I realized that my fear was justified. I mean, but when I went outside, if I was looking over my shoulder, I mean, I wouldn't really go anywhere unless I was with someone. But what happened was, is one time, I, and I would have anxiety attacks. And if anyone's ever had an anxiety attack, it's not a very good place to be. It's basically an out-of-body experience that you can fall to the ground, throw up, you can do whatever. But it's definitely, you're definitely not aware 100% of what's going on in your body. And then one time, I was driving down the road, not a good time to have an anxiety attack, and the song Hello by Lionel Richie came on. And that was my husband's and my favorite song. And so this anxiety attack took over on me. I I ended up in the church parking lot, and I really don't know how I got there. It was a church that my husband and I attended. He was Catholic, and I was not, but I attended Catholic. I had every intention of going into the church to pray, and God led me to the rectory instead. So I mustered up the strength to walk over to the door and banged on the door like a crazy woman begging for help. And the woman came out and she says, I'm sorry, no one's here to help you. I went, oh, my mm-hmm. God. And I, and I actually collapsed in the doorway. Uh, and the Monsignor came running to my aid. He was actually getting ready to leave for an appointment. And they canceled that appointment once he saw the And so we talked for about three hours. And he was telling me about some classes, which are called the RCIA classes which is the Rite of Christian Initiation, which is the uh, program that you take to become a Catholic. He said, I don't know if this is right for you. He says, but it's a good place to start. And if you want to become a Catholic, that's fine. But if not, that's fine too. It's your decision. So I went into the classroom. There were about a a dozen people in the classroom. Uh, Some of them were broken, like me. But there were several other people that had already experienced God's amazing powers. And they were telling about these wondrous things that had happened in their life. And I went, well, I need some of that. And so basically, at the RCIA class, uh, that was my safe place. That's where I found trust. That's where I found love and that found hope. So it was a group. You, weren't, you had tried to do it on your own, and you didn't have help from his family. And it, it, well, I, you know, I was looking at your, um, I was reading your book, and I got to your part here, and I truly believe this is why we go through things in life. And it says, there's no way in hell that God would make me go through so much pain without having something wonderful on the other side. And then you say that your goal is to help people heal and to make a difference in their lives so they in turn can help others who may be hurting. And to further that, it's like people tend to listen to a credible witness who has survived with hope. 
knowing that we share a similar pain. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So. Well, and that was that was one of the things for me too. Is uh, you know when I did venture out, one of the things that I hated most. You know, someone would grab my arm and say, "I know how you feel," and I said, "What? You have no idea how I feel." Yeah. And I pray to God that you never do know how I feel. So it's really kind of crazy because someone I had gone to a place for a massage uh, that I had never been to before, and so I was reluctant to talk about my my life basically. But the massage therapist kept asking me questions. So by the time I finished the massage, you know, um, she knew that my husband had committed suicide. So she gave me a business card, and she said you should call them. But I took the business card home and threw it in a decorative box on my kitchen counter and with no thought of revisiting it whatsoever. And then two years after that, I was in that box, and I saw the card, and I picked up the phone like it was a command from God and called the woman, and I said, you don't know me. My name is Janet Grillo. Someone gave me your business card two years ago. I'm supposed to talk to you, and I don't even know why. I don't even know what you do. So she said, well, why don't you come and talk to me, and and I'll tell you my story. And if you feel I can help, then uh, you can pay me for my services. So I thought, well, that's a fair plan. But as it turned out, she was a grief counselor in the Methodist Church. Both her mother and her son committed suicide. So she was the very first person that I spoke to who truly knew exactly how I felt. And so she asked me if I wrote in a journal, and I proudly sat up chair and said that I did. And then she asked me one question that changed my life forever. And that question was, is when you write in a journal, do you write to God? I said, write to God? You mean I could write to God? I never knew that. And she said, yeah, write to him. He'll listen. So uh, I took her advice. I left there and I went immediately to the bookstore and I bought a journal. It was important for me to buy a thin journal because I didn't know what my commitment and it was important for me to buy a bound journal because I didn't want to readily tear up the page. And so I took the journal home and sat, you know, in a quiet room and just started out by writing, Dear God, hear my prayers. And everything started to come out of me. My handwriting was probably an inch in size because I had so much anger in my body. Matter of fact, I had so much anger in my body that it was destroying me. But I ended up... Um, becoming a Catholic and ended up sitting in perpetual adoration in a chapel at our church. So every Thursday from 11 to 12, I would sit there and I purchased a second journal to write into just at adoration. So after months of writing, dear God, hear my prayers to God, I'm sitting there in front of the Blessed Sacrament and I thought, I wonder what God would say if he said something to me. So I turned to the back of my journal and I wrote on the top, Dear Janet, and signed it, Love God. I say empty lines waited patiently while I waited anxiously to see if it was crazy or profound. And about after a half an hour, my hands started to move. And I truly wasn't aware of what I was writing. And so what I did is the letters that I wrote to God are very important to me, but more important are the letters that God writes to me, just as I mentioned in the first letter, you know, one of the so, and the nice thing about the letters from God, they're not time sense. So a letter that God wrote to me, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, I could read it today and it's like he wrote it to me yesterday, which is kind of cool. 
it's very comforting and gives you confidence, gives you hope to know that you have someone that's watching you, that you're not in this world alone, that someone's got your back. Well, the greatest thing about that is, you know, we we can receive personal revelation, and that's exactly what it was happening, is Mm -hmm. God was talking directly to you and answering your prayers, even if you weren't asking them. But And I love that, and I love the journaling part. You know, that's been a big part of my life. But you said something earlier. We're just going to go back because we will talk about journaling and and how you've taken this. But you talked about the reason that you ended up in some of those places was because of the anger. And you you wrote in your book here, that Buddha said, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And it is so true. I've seen it in my life with, you know, people that hold grudges and and they're usually holding the grudge and the person they have a grudge against doesn't even know they're holding on to it, that they even have it. Um, But after, I remember after Lou died and there were times at night, I, I mean, I kept so busy. Life was busy. I made it busy so I didn't have to really feel life. But between 12 and 4 a.m. when I was in bed alone, there were times when I would get angry at Lou. And people would say, how can you get angry at somebody that died? I'm like, you know what? I'm angry at the things that didn't happen, the things that, that we had planned that weren't ever going to happen. And I was angry because he you know, he canceled his life insurance policy. He'd done other things that financially were hurt, hurtful. But... I was just angry because I was left alone. So right. how do you get over that? How, do you, how did you feel you know, when, when you had that, those times of anger? How did you get through those? Because I work with a lot of women that have been deceived and manipulated in terrible ways, and they're stuck in the anger. So how, did you, how were you able to move out of that anger stage? Well... It was like every step that I took, you know, was just one more anger, one more anger, one more. Um, I ended up after, you know, I got through a lot of things that during itself about his family and stealing insurance policies from me or trying to steal insurance policies from me. Attorney fees of over $100,000. I mean, it was just really crazy. But I actually just started traveling. Um, I went, even ended up in Switzerland. And... Uh, I had met a gentleman on a cruise who was from Switzerland. It was a Zig Ziglar cruise that I had gone on. And so I went there and I was in a hotel room. And then I, all of a sudden I found myself in a fetal position and I didn't know why. And so I ended up walking to a Catholic church just to simply pray. And when I walked in, they had a life-size statue of the Piazza. And so as I was leaving, I thought, you know what, I need to buy some groceries. And not that I had rosaries before, but or I left at home, or not that I was a, a rosary person, you know, to do that, but for whatever reason, I needed rosaries. And so as I walked out the door, there was a young nun that was standing at the door who didn't speak English or broken English in her best, you know, thing, but I just said rosaries, door, you know, just trying to relate to what I needed. And uh, she said, you need to talk to someone, but... Um, so she knew that there was an English-speaking priest in the rectory, but he wasn't there. Matter of fact, regarding the rosary, she ended up giving me the rosaries off of her stash. And I said I couldn't take them, but she insisted on it. And that's one of the most prized possessions I had. But the thing in talking, uh, the priest called me at 11 o'clock at night and we talked for three hours. And the thing that he made me understand about forgiveness 
when you forgive someone, it's basically for us. It's not for the other person. And when you forgive someone, you're not forgiving, you're forgiving the person, but you're not forgiving And so at that point, Say, say that again. I, I lost that yeah, part. When say you, that again. When you forgive someone, you, you're forgiving that person, but you're not necessarily forgiving the act. You know, Absolutely. the act of all the betrayals that my husband said to me, you know, the fact that he lived a secret life. You know, one of the things that um, angers me is that, you know, I wish I knew the person who I was uh, married to, you know, 18 years later, you know, I feel like my life was robbed here. But it's, it was part of God's plan. I have to understand that I met my husband at a time in a restaurant where I was supposed to meet three other people for dinner and none of them showed. I went to the payphone because back in 1988, we didn't have cell phones. And I went to the payphone and I called all three people and no one answered the phone. So I just knew that they were all on their way. And so I ended up, I was sitting at the bar, about 50 seats in the bar. And then when I went back to the bar after making the phone calls, one person came in the bar and sat in the exact same seat that I was sitting in. And I thought that was very strange, so many seats at the bar. And I ended up sitting halfway between that person and my husband to be in, and turned out, and, uh, and we just kind of started talking. And so I look at it like all of those things that were put in place, it's nothing that I, I could have done myself. If one person had answered the phone, uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. But the interesting part is that my husband had to die in order for me to go through the pain and suffering to kind of like figuratively step outside of my body to view my life without judgment or emotion and realize that I had to go through this pain to walk through this so that I can truly recognize other people's things so I can help them get through it, and then they in turn will help other people. So a question, I've had this asked me before. If you could reel back time, would you change anything that's happened? I would not. Okay. You know, and, the, and I'll tell you the reason for that is because right now I'm – making great strides. My book, God Promised Me Wings to Fly This Life After Suicide, uh, was picked up by Morgan James Publishing Company. Matter of fact, they gave me two contracts, one for this book and one for my new book, which will be called My Victory Journal. Uh, my book that I'm writing right now, the God Promised Me Wings to Fly, I'm rewriting that book in first person. And I have to tell you, writing in first person is very challenging because it's putting me right back at the day, the hour, and the minute of the things that are happening. So it's even very difficult for me to go through. Uh, the book is going to be renamed or with a new subtitle. So it's going to be God Promised Me Wings to Fly, Life for Survivor Death. So now when you look at the book, you will know exactly what it is. It's going to be healing. And then I've had the opportunity to reach out to a lot of people through LinkedIn and basically when I'm contacting them, I'm asking them, I'm contacting people that I know that when we work together, we can have a stronger voice. So even just going into LinkedIn to find people that are associated with suicide, so I put in people's suicide LinkedIn, and I found that there were 187,000 connections. Wow. So as I'm moving forward, you know, I realized 
that um, it's going to give me a great opportunity to touch people all over the world. Uh, and then once my book is published in June, I will start a book tour and a speaking tour in the cities where I have to. So I truly feel that I, I'm going to make a difference and help other people and help a lot of people do the same. Absolutely. And I, I give you a lot of credit for doing that because suicide is something that we don't talk about. You know, there's that, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of, lot of things. There's the mental health issues these days. It's their suicide. There's what, you know, the scam that I w was involved in. People don't talk about it because they just feel so vulnerable. They feel ashamed. They feel guilty. Uh, they don't, they think like, oh, you know, if, if that person was really, uh, I don't even know how to put it, but it, I remember as a kid, you never heard about someone committing suicide. And, and you've taken this, this pain and have really turned it into a purpose and a passion. And I so honor you for doing that. That's the greatest way to heal. And that's what I, what I encourage people to do is use your journals. You know, that's the very first thing is to get the story out of you so that you can release the emotion attached to it and then use what happened for good. And you're doing that in a great way, and I, I encourage you to keep going and to keep talking about it. And the special mission, and I heard you talk about this this morning on a podcast with Nancy Matthews, was that you're, you've turned this into a mission for veterans and your connection with the veterans. And, of course, yesterday was Veterans Day, and I, have, I was an Air Force veteran. I have 10 family members that are in the military, and I have just this great you know connection when I heard that I'm like oh my gosh that is her mission so can you explain to everybody what you're doing with the veterans and how that plays into your mission and getting over or getting on with life after suicide well it's interesting that part of my story because I and when I ended up self-publishing my book I worked with a marketing company out of Philadelphia and then a few years after I published it um, I had the opportunity to go to New York for a national publicity summit. And during, at the summit, I had the opportunity to meet a woman by the name of Tammy Devine. And Tammy uh, owns Crown City News in Sacramento. And so in talking with Tammy, um, I just, uh, we, she asked me about what bothered me. And I said, I don't know, the crazy thing that bothers me, and I don't know why, is, but I often wondered, how can you have two people that would come home from war, both of them have the same injuries, and maybe they both lost their legs? What's the difference between one strapping on prosthetic legs and running a marathon and the other becoming a martyr, an alcoholic, a drug addict, and eventually committing suicide? And I truly believe the difference is uh, God, having God in their life, knowing that that person um, is there for a special reason. So in talking with her, we decided that I was going to interview veterans and tell their stories. In one case, I interviewed someone who had attempted suicide three times and then chose life instead. Today, he's actually a motivational speaker. He even found himself homeless living in a box under a bridge. So sometimes when he talks, he'll bring that box, a box with him, you know, to show people. Another person that I interviewed was a woman that's called a gold star mom, and her son committed suicide. She connected me with a man by the name of Howard Perry, was from the Chicago area, and Howard's son And Howard started a display of 660 flags 
And the reason for that is on average, there's 22 American veterans that commit suicide every day, 660 a month and more than 7,000 a year. So in talking with her, you know, I was telling my sister about the interview. And she said, you know, I've seen a collection of signs, but I never knew what they meant. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to design a flag that when someone sees it, they'll know exactly what it, what it is, what it means. And so I designed a flag uh, using the American flag as the base. There's still the 50 stars on the flag, but 30 of the stars I've taken, and I've changed the color from turquoise and purple accent um, because the colors for suicide prevention are turquoise and purple. And then I added two bands of turquoise in there, and in, in the center of it, I said, stop, 22 veterans suicide today. So the 30 stars in the flag size 22 equals the 660 lives that are lost. Well, it, so as a result, I, I don't need to interrupt, but I, I'm looking at the flag. I want people to go to veteranssuicideawareness.org and look at the flag. It is stunning. And... It's, it's my heart goes out because, I mean, I see my, my boys and their wives and, you know, the folks that I've spent a lot of time with, and I, they're so positive and so patriotic. And then I see the guys that are, you know, in veterans' hospitals or veterans' homes that have been through the tragedy and have lost. And then I see guys on the street, and it, it's sad. I mean, I've spent eight years in the Air Force. I, I have this patriotic bone running through me, and I'm just, you know, we're so self-sufficient, so proud, so willing to put our lives on the line for other people, and then come home, and especially during the Vietnam War, and actually, no, today, you know, guys are coming home today and not feeling the encouragement from America in many ways. In many ways, not. I mean, there's both sides of the story. But like you said, there are the guys that make something of it, and then the guys that wallow, uh, that's not a nice word, but actually, you know, mm-hmm. feel their pain and then don't want to do anything about it. But suicide exactly. is not an option. <laughs> right? No, it's not an option. And the thing of it is, is that with the veterans, you know, I'm hoping, even though it's, my book will be Life for Survivors After Suicide, I'm hoping that people will read it, um, even if they're contemplating suicide, even if they're depressed, only because they're going to have a better understanding, like a raw encounter, of what their family is going to go through after if they decide to take their life. And it is, it's not a, a fun place to be. Some people, like myself, are finding purpose. I mean, one of my goals is to have my flag flown beneath every American flag at every government um, mm. station in the United States. And in order to do that, my goal is to bring, get the community involved so there would be a certain business that would fund the flag for that particular location. And then the other thing is is that I have plans to take my flag to the President of the United States. There is a program that was created called Prevents, which is basically means President's Roadmap to Empower Veterans and the National Tragedy Suicide. About uh, nine months ago, President Trump reached out and he wanted, they were looking for something to be the face of the prevents program. So my goal in everything went to the wayside because of the pandemic, but my goal is is to revisit that uh, for whatever president, you know, is in in the White House uh, for sure. Uh, If it's Joe Biden, that's a good thing for me because I actually grew up six houses or five houses away from Joe Biden's family. So 
having the President of the United States know me is probably a good thing. So, but I'll, what I'll do is I'll wait until my book is published, and then once it's published, I'll send the book and the flag uh, to the White House and see if I can... You know, absolutely, the, absolutely, yeah. and and we'll do what we can to connect you with with people that um, are in you know the VA or um, I actually have a friend out in Arizona and her son um, committed suicide and for years could never talk about it. Um, she's very well known in the financial industry and I would really love to have you know get her connected with you in this particular thing um, because it's sad. I mean, our our young men and women um, that have served in the in the military have. They deserve our support, and and they shouldn't feel like they're alone. And I really give you so much credit for for taking what you're doing. Um, and this, I mean, I'm looking at the flag; and it is very it's stunning. And um, I Thank wish you, you the, the greatest success with that and the book. Um, it's God promised me wings to fly. I'm looking at it right here. I actually had the the opportunity to read it and to to write. Um, a testimonial for it. There, I, I sit there with my highlighter, and I I can look through it right now, and I've got yellow markers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> marks through the through the whole thing. I'm not yellow markers. Yeah, it's not just suicide. I mean, I'm looking at it from my point of view too. After Lou died, and then being scammed, there are there are many things here that uh, that you talk about that are applicable to to life's tragedies in general, not just in suicide, but um, particularly for suicide because it's not talked about. Uh, and family members are at a loss of well, how do I move forward from here? Same with you know the veterans. How do we move forward from here? And you know you're so proud of them one moment, and the next moment you don't even want to talk about what happened. And right. that's a tough place, you know, as, as a mother, as a an aunt. That's a tough place to be in. So I'm going to really um, we're going to transition just for a moment. I've got Dr. Tim McGinnis, and Tim is the founder of Scars, which is a Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. Tim is actually a Navy veteran, and I, oh, Tim, uh, let me this. take you off a mute. <laughs> I like to keep him muted. Tim, welcome to uh, to our Stand Up and Speak Up today. Thank you. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Thanks for being here, Tim. Tim, this is Janet. Janet, this is Tim. Um, Tim, we'd like to welcome you into this discussion a little bit about the veterans and about suicide and and how that affects not I'm not necessarily the veterans, but in our area of expertise in our in our um, nonprofit, we've had some experience with suicide. So can you yes, just address us a little bit about you know how we get past that and that maybe as family members how we can support them? Well. In the world of, of relationship scams, romance scams, we estimate that we lose about 12 to 20 people a day um, directly as a result of a romance scam. You yourself, Debbie, know exactly how profoundly traumatizing the experience can be. And as we know, about a third of victims uh, stay trapped in denial and, and profound despair coming out of this experience. And the solution in large part is not only to talk about it, but to try and help reach people by not blaming them for the experiences that they've had in their life, specifically scams, uh, whether they, they made a mistake and allowed it to happen or didn't, but regardless of simply accepting uh, the reality of the situation and that the individuals need help and assistance. And if you're a victim, 
staying silent is one of the most disastrous things that you can do. Um, as you know, Debbie, by, by beginning to talk about the experience, as you said, Janet, just writing it down can be a profound cathartic release that can help you get through that moment of complete despair or, or feeling of isolation and aloneness that can contribute to suicide. We became aware of this several years ago, and in fact, it was one of the triggers for the creating of our organization when a woman came to us who was living in Hong Kong, a domestic servant from Indonesia who had been scammed and had literally no alternative, she believed, but to take her life as a way of escaping uh, the anguish that this scam caused in her life. And we reach a number of people literally every week, sometimes every day, who are in that moment. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, who are in that moment when, um, when they're desperate for help and any guidance that they can, and we do our very best not only to give them the information that they need, but also to provide them with the, the uh, hotline numbers uh, either here in the United States for, you know, the Suicide Lifeline um, or in their own countries because we have an exhausted catalog of, of crisis support numbers and organizations in virtually every country in the world that we supply to the public, through our volunteers, etc. So this is the way that we address this problem. Debbie? You guys there? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it's very interesting. Um, I got I got sidelined here, and I'm sorry. Um, I also work with the 211 helpline, which is the suicide prevention line here in Palm Beach County. And today is their their annual event, and they are doing it virtually and delivered lunch to my front door. So I'm sorry to have to have left you guys, but. Um, that was very awkward. Sorry, Tim, and sorry, Janet. But it's interesting that, that, that they showed up right at this moment. Um, there you go. Wanna, Serendipitous. Yeah, absolutely. It happened for a reason, but I hated to walk away. But, Tim, thank you for that because we do um, – we have this thing in common with what Janet's going through, and, you know, you and I, again, have that veteran connection, and I'm very close to uh, – my my pair my dad, who's a vet, and uh, my husband was and all that, and it's just – there, there's something sad about when anybody commits suicide and anybody passes away, but I feel for me particularly uh, sad when a veteran has gotten to that point of despair. And, and Janet, thank you so much for, I want people again to go look at the flag. It's veteransuicideawareness.org and there are ways you can purchase the flag. And uh, maybe if we know, you know, veterans organizations around that, that, that this might be something that they would really embrace and, uh, and, and use as, as their mission. But Janet, how can people find your book and when is it coming out again? I mean, I have the original copy. Um, if people would like to get a hold um, of you, give us your contact information, please. Okay. First, first, let me tell you, right now I'm waiting from, for Morgan James to complete the new cover of my book. Once that cover is done, which will be this week or next week, um, then my book 
will come down. The, the original book that I wrote, God Promised Me Ways to Survive Suicide, will come off of Amazon, and then a new image will go up and get it into the preview. But my website will remain the same. It will have the new book cover on it. So the best thing to do to contact me would be to go to my website, which is janetgrilloauthor.com, and uh, just go to the contact page. If people can send me their, uh, and it will ask you to give me your email address, then I will put it into the database and um, we'll contact them when the book is available. Uh, also, too, is if they can, if they want to talk to me, I'm uh, available to talk to you. Write that in the message as far as doing that concern. Or I can give you my phone number now. I don't know if you want me to do that. Go ahead. Go ahead, that. and I'll put it. I'll put it on our on our YouTube video. Okay. Okay. So anyone can reach me on my cell, which is area code three zero two five four five eight one one five. Okay. And reach out to me. You know, if someone wants to talk. Someone wants to um, me to do a motivational talk. As I'm making my list through the LinkedIn, I'm keeping track of all the cities and the states. So I have a plan in place to do those motivational talks in all the cities where I am. But I'm just getting organized with that now. For sure. Well, and we again at G R I L O O is my last name. Janet Grillo, and it's uh, JanetGrilloAuthor.com. You can find her on Facebook and also LinkedIn. Uh, we'll post her, her phone number if you'd like to get a hold of her, but her book is called God Promised Me Wings to Fly, and the old one, the subtitle is There is Life After Suicide, and actually I love the little girl that's on the front that's got her arms out like she's flying. Um, right. it's, a, it's a lovely cover, and uh, there's so much in it that is applicable to each and every one of us, regardless of what has happened in our lives, not just for those that are uh, that have you know been a family member to someone that's committed suicide, but it's about grief, it's about hope, it's about writing letters to God, it's about writing in your journal, it's about having that confirmation that you're not alone. And I really appreciate you being here, Janet, and for what you're doing. Um, and your mission with the veterans and mission on, on, bring, on oh, suicide awareness uh, is just incredible. And, and that's, you know, like I said, I, I was just had lunch delivered from the 211 Helpline organization here in Palm Beach County, and they're affiliated with the National Suicide Prevention Helpline. Um, it's, a, it's a big deal and something that needs to be talked about. And I'm really grateful that you've got the courage and you're standing up and taking what happened in your past and making it your present and your purpose for the future. Uh, it's a thank you so much for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very grateful that God has chosen me to do a special task. Like I said, well, I'm not going to take it lightly and I'll help people along the way. That's a beautiful well, thing. I love the, um, the expression that many are called few are chosen. And it's the few that are chosen that have gone through some of the most difficult hardships in life and have come up from the bottom, risen up, standing up, speaking up, and, and making good out of what has happened in their life. So thank you so much for being part of that club. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you. It's a great place to be. Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Tim, for being with us again. And I, I apologize for stepping out for a moment. But the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams is an organization that is dear to my heart. It is once something that is helping women and men that have been uh, taken by scam 
around the world. It is a huge issue and we're here today to stand up and speak up. We're dedicated to encouraging you to remove that mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. And whatever has happened in your life, you can get over it if you just believe that you're not alone. So if you or any of you have been victim to fraud or scam, report it to anyscam.com and ic3.gov. Please join me and stand up and speak up. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on YouTube. Whatever you can, please support this organization that is going to be out there helping victims of scam and Janet's organization that is helping veterans and preventing suicide or helping families of those that have um, committed suicide. Get up and get out of yourself. Get you know. I'm going a little extemporaneous today. I'm just feeling that the, the importance of service to others will get you out of your blue funk. And so this episode today, back to the script, is sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If any of you know anyone who struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, listeners, for a wonderful Stand Up and Speak Up. Remember, folks, God has promised us wings to fly. We'll just embrace what's happened in our lives and move forward. So thanks, everybody. I appreciate you, and we look forward to having you here again next week. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. You bet. Bye.